You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 80 of the Weekly Group Podcast. My name is Austin Stat, and I'm joined here live, I guess, for the first time. We're doing Facebook Live for episode 80. So if you're listening right now on iTunes, obviously this episode is recorded. Uh, but we are coming to you live after uh, a historic football game in which we saw the New England Patriots uh, come back from a 25-point deficit to win 34-28 to against the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, the game just you know, took place just a few miles from where we are right now uh, here in Houston, Texas. And I'm, I'm kind of curious... As we were watching the game, I mean, it was a blowout early on. Uh, Patriots, Tom Brady, he was seeking their fifth Super Bowl win. They were down by 25 points. Did either of you see the Patriots coming back from this immense deficit deficit to win this game? Yeah, I never for a second did think they have some sort of run in them. I mean, that's the sort of hatred that I have for the Patriots, a begrudging respect, where I really expect something spectacular to happen. But that even surpassed my wildest nightmares, I think. That was, uh, I'm dejected. I feel uh, kind of queasy. Am I here? Uh, we could throw a rock and hit him, and we, honestly, we should, the way I feel. <laughs> well, I mean, the last time the Patriots, 2004, and of course, they had that uh, miraculous game with the uh, the Carolina Panthers back right. then, and Jake DeLome, but it was just so disappointing. I think that America was kind of rooting for the Falcons, and of yeah. course, 53% of the people that actually bet on the game bet on the Falcons. And Ugh. if you, our group here, us three, beforehand, we exchanged text messages trying to discuss who would actually win the game. Both Kevin and myself picked the Falcons to win. And Jeremy, you did say that the Patriots would win, but you said that it would be by more than 10 points. Wasn't quite 10 points, but were you even surprised by the comeback? I was, yeah. I actually kind of wish I had been able to take a nap for the first three quarters and somebody just wake me up in the fourth. No, it, it was absolutely amazing. I I was kind of rooting for the Patriots, believe it or not. I, I think all of the rancor directed at the Pats, I think, was undeserved, especially before the the game, you know, like, oh, this is the team that Trump picked and da-da-da-da-da. I actually was kind of yeah, rooting for He picked for them it. by eight points. I know. Two, I was, two was points so off. bizarre. It's like, all right, so you're going to pick them to win by a two-point conversion. Is that what you're telling me? It's like, I, I it, was, it was such a bizarre number. But he, to Trump's credit, he was only off by two points, so... Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the Falcons won the popular vote. So. Of course, right. right. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, this is like a re, yeah, rehash the election. I love how people are comparing it. Yeah, but it was, it was a very interesting game. And I think one of the things that we mentioned last week on the show was that we wanted to see how awkward that moment would be between uh, Roger Goodell handing the Super Bowl trophy to Belichick, to Robert Kraft, to Tom Brady. Was that moment somewhat satisfying to you guys? It was, because I think Goodell is an incompetent bureaucrat. I, I think his him getting booed, anytime he's in public, he is booed, and that gives me a sense of satisfaction. But it was hilarious to watch him up there. He looked like he was uncomfortable on stage. You can see Belichick and Brady laughing in the back, and you know, you kind of look at Brady and the, the expression on his I face. Could I could not disagree more. No. Oh, I think he, that Goodell is a sociopath, and I don't think that he has the capacity for like emotions, things like shame, 
uh, humility or, or uncomfortableness, these things that like other people have. I think he's just sort of an automaton and, and like, you know, I don't know if evil is even though just unfeeling and, 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 and brutish. So, no, I didn't see any of that. I thought he looked totally like lizard like and at ease. It was funny last night on Saturday Night Live. If you watch the sketch, uh, they had a uh, celebrity they actually had Roger Goodell on the side with uh, the Falcons fans. So it was kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, the disdain that is at least portrayed by NBC. Uh, but the game to me was just absolutely insane. I mean, the Patriots outscored uh, the Atlanta Falcons 24 to seven in the second half of the game to force overtime. Then obviously they get that touchdown to go ahead. Tom Brady wins his fourth MVP. The Falcons had a prolific offense. The only things that we discussed in last week's show is how their defense had stepped up. In that first half of the game, they did step up. What was the difference in the second half? Was it just Belichick and Brady uh, doing their thing, you know, making adjustments? And because, you know, they had been there so many times. I mean, this is the seventh time that they've been in the Super Bowl, obviously the fifth championship for them both. I don't know how, how you could say that it's because they've been there. It's because they do things better. They're better prepared. You talk about adjustments. The fluky things that were going the Patriots way in the first half of that game, every weird, like the extra point off the upright. I mean, just here, a drop, a there, a, you know, everything that they could have had to play went Atlanta's way, exactly the opposite after halftime. And so those little plays make the difference. Obviously, you're talking about a very well-prepared Patriots squad, well-coached from top to bottom. It just seemed like they had the breaks in the second half. And, uh, and then, of course, the coin flip. I mean, it, literally comes down to a coin flip and it goes to the Patriots. It just seems like it's the, always the way it is. If you're a conspiracy theorist, there's plenty you can look at here and hate. I don't necessarily buy into any of that nonsense or whatever that uh, somehow the league makes more money and, and supports them in illicit ways. But it feels that way sometimes. I can see where you'd, where you'd feel cheap. And of course, the Falcons retained possession after the, uh, the second half started. And it had been more than an hour since they last possessed the ball on offense. So I feel mm-hmm. like the... Falcons almost had like so much momentum going for them in the first quarter, first half of the game, actually. I mean, they scored, what, three touchdowns in the first half of the game. And, well, they, had, and, and then they had to wait an hour. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that struggles so much. But one of the things that I actually found interesting, and uh, that was actually a tweet uh, from the New York Times, uh, and it says that uh, the Atlanta now 86% chance of winning per ESPN. And that's, <laughs> of course, to ESPN's metrics. And this is one of the editors from New York Times. Uh, the editor also wrote that that's about the same as Hillary Clinton's yep. chances heading into the election. Yeah, That, to me, was crazy. I mean, just so many things that we've seen happen in this past, you know, last two to three months have just been kind of shocking. The Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. Yep. Uh, you look at Cleveland coming down from three to one deficit. Kaplan uh, was not surprised by the Cubs. Though. Yeah, Kaplan was, was not surprised, surprised about this. But have you, you look, mentioned he's going to be on this episode? We yeah. will. <laughs> and actually, as Kevin just alluded to, uh, Jake Kaplan, uh, beat reporter for the uh, Houston Chronicle, covers the uh, Houston Astros. He will be on the podcast joining us actually live here in studio here in just a few moments. But... Uh, a lot of craziness happens, and, and Jeremy, I know that you follow politics as well. Do you just do you just expect the unexpected now? Well, no. Uh, I'm right now. I'm thinking to myself, how useless are predictions in our day and age? I mean, when you look at the the people trying to predict the Super Bowl, trying to say, that, oh, this, the Falcons have this in the bag, which I mean, honestly, they did. And then you look at similar predictions for the election. Hold on, hold I, on, I, hold I, on. I, I'm going to stop you. Did you just ask? Did you pose a question to the rest of us saying are predictions valuable? I, I guess I did. Well, I mean, I was, it was sort of rhetorical, unless he made but it was that is financially valuable. And I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I did break even. Uh, we've mentioned that maybe I do have a gambling problem. It's it's not confirmed. 
Uh, but I did actually bet on Luke Bryan's national anthem and won some money on that. But, and I did but win you some lost money. Some elsewhere. What do you think about though? What sticks with you? It's the dopamine from the win. The losses kind of fade into the back. I'm gonna explain your neurochemistry to you because you're an addict. You need to go to some doctors <laughs> and talk to people and get some help. So, <laughs> so I, at the end of the day, I broke even. <laughs> See, all I'm hearing is denial, man. It's really <laughs> sick, and it, 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 it I'm was upset fun. For and you. honestly, the next time I'm gonna bet on sports is maybe during March Madness, yeah, or college football. We hear you, the, you're gonna give it up. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm, I'm across the table right now. You can help me, yeah, family, uh, yeah, yeah, family therapy. We can do that. When we put up these mics in a second. We're all gonna gather around in a circle and say, "Hey, you heard us." So yeah, Alvin's got the banner here in the back. Okay, fine, just intervention. That's cool. But you know, of course, the game. Tom Brady was just absolutely phenomenal today. I mean, he went. 43 of 62 for 466 yards, uh, two touchdowns, one interception, uh, 95.2% uh, passer rating. Those are pretty good numbers. 466 yeah. yards. That's like Big 12 football quarterback numbers. It's an all-time Super Bowl uh, record for yeah. most passing yards. But then you look at Matt Ryan, too. He also had yeah. a pretty damn good game. It's 23 for 284 yards. Uh, he had a passer rating of 144. I mean... Both quarterbacks performed well. It was just the defense coming up with a huge stops toward the end of the game, and and also Tom Brady and the Patriots doing their thing. Yeah, no kidding. Deflating balls, doing whatever it takes to win. Man, wait, wait till we we're gonna run this back. We're gonna piece it uh, all together, uh, part by part. We're gonna find something that was that was weird that we're gonna look at with an asterisk because that's just the way they do business over there in New England. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something that we discussed last week on the show is Tom Brady. He's got five Super Bowl wins. Texans have a problem. Brock Osweiler is set to make $17 million next year. That's the problem. That, $17 yeah. million next year. Tom Brady needs a new challenge. Why not come to Houston? Because there's no cap room for him, unless you're talking about taking like a veteran minimum type contract. Like, there's no, we've talked about this explicitly. With there is no hope. The only way you can have hope, and I have this, is to be optimistic about the strides in the offseason. Because you are absolutely stuck with Osweiler or a guy that's already on the roster. Or I like the option of going in and trying to get a young quarterback and developing him quickly, a guy who's ready to you know, take the field, take over. But, yeah. but there's no, there's no uh, veteran coming in from elsewhere it's going to save. Right. There are two guys that I'm looking at in the NFL draft. And I think one that's Sean, mm-hmm. two, that would be Blake Mahomes, who you saw or Patrick Mahomes sorry yeah who you saw at Texas Tech he's got an absolute canning and throw the ball like probably 70 yards sitting on his knees but uh, actually, throw it clear over that mountain exactly uh, <laughs> Uncle Rico style <laughs> but uh, actually I did receive a text from a listener Travis he said uh, hey Atlanta at least you still have Dwight Howard right yeah that's uh, very good Stings a little uh, bit, a little but uh, I guess it's true well, uh, I mean to the Brady question I mean Kim coming to a city like Houston, I mean, the Texans are sort of broken on offense, and I think that regardless of who's a quarterback, I mean, we can talk about how horrible Osweiler is all day, but we've discussed before on the podcast about the systemic problems on the Texans. So uh, I think I Tom Brady is... a single is, discussion that would qualify as that. I, I, I can absolutely... I mean, we talk about all the administrator problems with the Texans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. we're not huge fans of Rick. Say, no, it's we've a established system, that. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm referring to. But no, Tom Brady's going to sit... He's going to sit tight in New England. He's going to make a boatload of money and how much longer has he got in the league i mean that's really what i'm asking myself he's 39 years old he's kind of on that he's on the edge there 40 so what if i told you three and a half years three and a half years i'd I'd say maybe yeah i'd say that's a good good you taking the over or under three and a half years uh, I mean, how much longer does he need to play? I he mean, looks unstoppable right I, now. i'm kind of curious though five super bowl rings is tom brady the best quarterback of all time yeah, I think now, you know, they, they had to trudge uphill both ways in the snow and so forth, all the old-timer type stuff, and they'll tell you that these guys aren't as hard as they aren't as tough, whatever. But in the modern era of people that have been watching football, you know, it's been televised, uh, multiple an- camera angles, things like that. Yeah, I think there's nobody even put in the same category. Yeah, I tend to agree. And uh, it's just amazing to you. 
watch his career going from a six-round pick out of Michigan who was beat out twice since then. And I can't remember the other, the other guy's name. Was it Drew Stan? I don't, I'm not sure. But uh, Tom Brady, just the fact that he's led the Patriots to five Super Bowl. Like, I mean, he's had he's had a great team. You know, the, the one that went 18-0 and lost in, uh, in 2007 mm. to uh, Eli Manning and awesome. the Giants. I mean, uh, it's just amazing the fact that he's 5-2 and two in Super Bowls. And when you look at it, the Texans haven't even won five playoff games. I know. That to me is astounding. And What's I, amazing is that he does it as like very thin flesh stretched very tightly over a skeleton, <laughs> like a death's head figure. Um, and yet he manages to do these amazing athletic things with virtually no meat on those bones whatsoever. So he's sort of like a, a crypt keeping Grim Reaper sort. Actually, I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, Thursday night here in Houston, there was a uh, EA Sports Bowl. It was taking place at uh, Club Nomadic, uh, just over in the the Washington. Uh, my favorite. Club. Yeah, Washington Military Rice Military, whatever mm-hmm. that area is called. Uh, but uh, the Chainsmokers and Sam Hunt and Snoop Dogg were performing. I said I was actually at, but uh, Von Miller showed up with a cutout of Tom Brady's <laughs> uh, picture from the combine. And if you nice. haven't seen that, just Google it. I mean, he looks like a guy that. He looks just like a frat. Just coming out of uh, college, it was kind of comical. But now he's, you know, obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's married to uh, Giselle Bundchen. So, good. I, I guess he looks like um, he's in Abu Ghraib. Honestly, is what the the photograph <laughs> that's, looks. That's like. a strong take. Yeah. I think I think that's a hot take, Kevin. He's in his underwear, of course, as they often are in the combine. The picture looks a little grainy. But he's so not tied the, up. Uh, well, he looks like he's about to be. They look at his face. I'm telling you, you should absolutely Google this. Tom Brady combine picture. Go to images, and there's just a line to save this man from getting. Yeah, the, of his body this, this does look like something like from like a human trafficking bus. Yes. You know, like a pile Where did of this pictures. Come from? No, I'm like, really I'm, curious. I, well, yeah, so I, 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 I work with some people that do that, so it's uh, that abuse wait, others. Wait, that abuse. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. So Anyways. speaking of like political issues i think that's a nice segue to our next uh topic here on the weekly brew podcast that would be the uh the commercials for the super bowl and terrible one of the things that i really like about the super bowl on a, on a general basis is the commercials generally there's humor whether it's you know a budweiser commercial looking at the uh the three frogs that we all remember from like what 10 15 years ago 20 the, the 90s yeah, yeah I don't the, know. the was up ads uh all of those what exactly Bill, the bud ice penguin i just did it right now and i've forgotten how terrible it was i mean it was really like a plague it was an icon but this Who's year, it for? I'm never going to buy any of their stuff. Ever. Well, one, no, I like IPAs, so I'm not yeah, going to. And yeah. actually, as you can see right now, if you're watching on Facebook Live, I also enjoy Moscow Mules. This is not a paid endorsement. I've heard the words Moscow Mule so many times tonight. <laughs> it is unreal. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. Kevin. Yeah. But when you look at the commercials this year, was there one that stood out to you guys? anyone else was for that matter either that i was i think i'm reading i mean i just i just googled super bowl commercials and there's like a hundred think pieces so i think people were paying attention it's only like 20 minutes after the game ended but like out of you guys i mean was there one that stuck out to you i mean outside of the notes that i wrote down there's not one that stuck out to me i like the one with the daughter the the feminist commercial the audi commercial yes that's yeah i think that was a good one yeah it was audi right yeah <laughs> there was, was like Ford. No, Ford's the one I, I hated. I'll, I, I, there was one that stuck in my mind. The '84 Lumber, yeah, was yeah. really interesting. I, I thought controversy uh, I kinda, online about it. Yeah, though. yeah. I was I was actually kind of surprised that a company would like do that during the Super Bowl. I thought that was a little kind of risky. Well, it's interesting but, because typically you don't imagine in uh, the Northeast, and I believe Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, they are not good salt to the earth, folk. They are not <laughs> a company that you would expect to spend that much money nationally. Because keep in mind, it costs. Five million dollars for a thirty-second spot. 
I believe that ad went well over a minute. And not only that, but they directed you to their website to watch the ad. How many people are they going to convert to actually watch that ad? And of course, if you haven't watched the ad online, it actually ends up with a wall, uh, which is supposed to be a political statement toward uh, Donald Trump's policy uh, here in the United States with Mexico. And I think the folks from 84 Lumber were a little bit offended, denied the ad. But at the end of the day, the NFL does have a policy that you can't make political statements. Well, the the first cut of the ad was denied, but they had a couple of revisions and what we got is what we got. And they made you finish it. Yeah, online. But here's the funny thing. Their website crashed within five minutes of the commercial. So it's a good sign. That's a good sign. $5 web hosting and a $5 million commercial. That means you did something right. I guess so. But um, I I was looking at their Twitter and they were were taking some heat. I, I thought it was I thought it was a little... Uh, out of color for a Super Bowl ad, but then you, know, you also color. had Anheuser. You also had. <laughs> Do you uh, want to rephrase that? You, had, you also had um, Budweiser with their with their ad as well. Um, the kind of immigrant theme, right? You had this guy like kind of well, walking same through with the Coca-Cola. streets. Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Same with the Airbnb. Was it was it Mr. Bush? Uh, the OG, yeah. The OG. <laughs> the OG. I like That's that. Right. I like that. OG AG, w- baby. One of the commercials that I actually liked. Uh, commercial and Airbnb had an ad that said, "We accept." And it was essentially, I think, a uh, it was based on immigration thing. Uh, but the problem that I had with the ad is that they spent $5 million, mm. and all they showed was their logo. They didn't show the text. I'm curious, you guys. I mean, I book Airbnbs probably about four or five times every time I travel. We get it, dude. Do, do you know what logo looks like? I mean, if you see that on TV, are you going to know that it's that brand? No clue. Yeah, exactly. I, I, the problem that I have... So they had a, a brilliant ad, but they didn't even brand their own business. And so I think that were mistakes that they made from a branding perspective. And then the New York Times tweeted out that they only spent three days creating that ad. And that was the last three days. So it clearly gets your brand out there. On the other hand, we are sitting here talking about it, and so are other people. So, I mean, Well, that's true. But the only reason why I'm talking about it is because I, I know Airbnb. But do, you, but do you not think maybe they're just a step ahead of you? Hey, they could be. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they do have a multi-billion dollar business, and exactly. I'm sitting here with the Weekly Brew podcast. Right. So. Billion dollar business. That's yes, correct. a single billion. We're not there yet, but we're, we're going to get there. But uh, We're in the single billion or lower <laughs> revenue category. <laughs> exactly. But uh, outside of more of a political sentiment that I haven't seen in the past, and that was more towards Donald Trump's uh, policies, uh, specifically on immigration, uh, equality, that sort of thing. But one of the things that I was disappointed about and one of the things that I've always liked about the Super Bowl is having comedic commercials, something that makes me laugh or something that takes the pressure off of you know everything that's going on in society. I, I know that so many Americans have been disappointed with all of the political talk going on in the last two, three, four weeks. And they wanted this game to escape from that. And unfortunately, with the political advertisements that you saw on TV through brands, they couldn't get away. Does that change the way you look at sports now that you're having politics kind of thrown into sports? Listen, it's in order to have funny content, you need to have funny writers. And none of the funny people are laughing right now. And you actually tweeted that these commercials were essentially on the same level as like Super Bowl commercials. Or I'm sorry, Pro Bowl commercials. I think the joke I made to you is NHL All-Star Game, but then I realized I didn't understand the workings of the game and had never actually watched it. So I I called an audible from the time I spoke it aloud to the time I tweeted it, which is an experience we have a lot. (laughs) Most of my tweets originate as texts to you or or things that I say to you. It's like you're you're pre-approving them. 
Ex- well, right? it's exactly what it is. I'm workshopping them. You usually give me a little feedback. You're very kind like that. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. I just think that yeah, the the uh, atmosphere, the mood of this country is is divided. Of course, some people are very jubilant in a way that is scary and fascistic. I think to a lot of people's minds, whether that's accurate or not, especially those Berkeley protesters. Right? But my point is, no, 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 Bowling Green, <laughs> yeah. Bowling Green, the Bowling Green massacre. Right, right. Look it up. Look there's it up. A, there's a there's a Facebook. Have you seen the Facebook folk song about it? Oh yeah, it's great. Forget about it entirely. I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, so yeah, it didn't surprise me that it wasn't that atmosphere because who's who's in the mood to laugh really? Right, conservatives. Uh, they're not funny historically, um, and so I just think it was missing. The people that are the funniest are really not laughing at the moment or producing things that are uh, lighthearted or fun. Right. One of the one of the cold moments, you know, before we move on to uh, you know the interview with Jake Kaplan that we have coming up here. It in was a few more moments. like dude, the crap. It was great. Can but I say that? I can say that. W- yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the cool things that I thought was at the start of the game. Mm. And actually, there are two two more topics that I want. Some to people on. were still getting you ginger beer at the yeah, beginning. Exactly. That that would be you. Yeah. Because uh, because of course, if you're watching right now on Facebook Live, you got to have the Moscow Mules. Cheers to those watching at home. Moscow Mule anymore? It's got to be like a freedom something. Like a, like a freedom a, mule? Like a freedom shake. Yeah, remember about, freedom fries? What about a, a, what about a weekly yeah. brew mule? Uh, I mean, whatever it is, you got to take the Moscow out of it because we don't go for that foreign stuff in this country anymore. That's fair. It's, you're right. <laughs> freedom fries. We've done it many times, actually. World it's War true. One and two, it's, we changed things. I can't remember what they were. America Mule. America I like that. Mule. It, uh, you probably couldn't hear that from the background. But that was actually Alan Tran dropping in that line. But uh, per- uh, you know, just days after being discharged from a hospital here in Houston, I thought that was a pretty cool moment. And you knew it was a cool moment when Bill Belichick, who is a guy who historically shows no emotion. Negative amounts. He showed a grin. Like, well, Bill Belichick is like a really a just a look asshole, of asshole, though. That's definitely an emotion <laughs> that he shows. Yeah, for sure. No, he's always got like this look of constipated disdain. Same as Goodell. Face. I mean, they're yeah. like the same type of personality. I mean, like very limited range of human emotions. It's no, all like petty okay. jealousy and anger. I, I wouldn't. Disease. Belichick makes what? Let's let's call it like six, seven, eight million dollars a year. I don't know. Okay. You want to look Good, it up? I'll Goodell it up. makes forty million dollars a year. His name is never spelled how I think it's going to be spelled. No, Belichick, Bel- Bel- Belichick, and Roger Goodell will be remembered for two very different things. Right. I mean, you have top and bottom. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> that was funnier. That was way effing funnier than the laugh it got. No, I mean, look at um, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are unmatched in record, only rivaled by Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin. So, I, you know, when I look at Bill Belichick, I don't see a psychopath like I see in Roger, Roger Goodell, but certainly a guy that needs to work on his... Uh, okay, fair point. All right. So, uh, a lot Seven and a half million. You were, as usual, right there in yeah, the ballpark. You're yeah, pretty good at that. So I think Belichick is getting... Yeah, I, I think if you're a Patriots fan, you're getting more value for your money with uh, seven and a half million going to Belichick, but is the halftime performance, Lady Gaga. Uh, there was a lot of speculation to the performance on whether or not she would uh, politicize it. And, you know, I saw a few things on Twitter saying this is one of the few moments in which, uh, while watching the Lady Gaga performance, it was the only time that you could watch a Super Bowl and get away from political talk. I actually had conservative friends text me suggesting that they enjoyed the Lady Gaga performance. I liked it. I thought it was cool to see 300 drones in the air outside of NRG Stadium. And those of you that follow me on uh, social media, you know that I recently purchased a drone. Uh, that is actually not one that was flowing uh, outside of Energy Stadium. But I'm curious, what did you guys show? Here at the Weekly Brew, we are one drone closer to the robot apocalypse, thanks to Austin Staten. <laughs> no, I actually, Don't blame me. I, I really enjoyed that, actually. I thought that was a really cool use of uh, drones and kind of the technology. I actually didn't know what I was looking at at first, and then I remembered, oh, wait, there's going to be drones in this performance. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think uh, I was kind of looking at all you know, the concerns I follow in 20. I mean, I thought overall it was I a very it was political. A great 
vocal performance. performance. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. very neutral. I thought she this was Lady Gaga. She's weird. She's busy. Oh, I, I was I was impressed overall. Yeah, I thought she did a really good job. And uh, overall, I thought the game was very uh, fun to watch. I thought the first half was absolutely horrendous. I mean, whether it was watching the advertisements, which I didn't think were funny, that's kind of what I want to see for advertisements. It's something that like makes me remember. I also wanted to see a competitive football game. That's not something I late in the second half, which ironically is when uh, Jeremy, you showed up to the watch the game. But overall, I, I, I would I would say it's one of the best finishes that I've seen and NFL football game to go NFL Super Bowl game to go into overtime. And of course, the Patriots uh, getting that go ahead touchdown uh, there on their first possession. But a phenomenal game. I mean, I think it's one that's going to go down. And I think looking at the city of Houston this week, they put on a phenomenal show when it came to hosting Super Bowl 51. Oh, it's a completely different city than 2004. as papers from back then. I mean, they were not impressed with Houston. They, have, they are seeing a different tune today. And that's, that's really something that I think Houston should be proud of. Um, and what a game to be played in the city of Houston. Biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. And arguably, probably the most entertaining game to watch, at least in the second half, that, that I've seen in a long time. All-time postseason NFL record uh, for teams that led one point in the game, now 93-1. and one. That was the first time in nine. I was waiting for, for one of you to pop out that stat. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to make sure the wording, I got it correctly there, so I was pretty sure I understood it, and uh, lo and behold, I did understand it perfectly. I could have read it from memory. But the point is, I checked it, and that is incredible. 93 and 1, and we just watched the one. All time. I will say this, because it, it seems to me, like the last few times we've watched major sporting events, the prelude has been terrible. I mean, we talked about the NFL playoff games. I'm sorry I didn't make conversation when I came in, buddy. It, I just wasn't feeling no, very social. No, that's fine. The, 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 <laughs> you don't have to do it like this on the show, man. The, uh, the prelude to what we talked about in the previous weeks was, what was it, like all mm-hmm. uh, the NCAA tournament when it came to the Final Four. Yeah, the two Final Four games of the semifinal were games terrible. terrible, both terrible. Of them, and then, but the actual conclusion was pretty thrilling. Maybe the best live, certainly college basketball game. The college football playoffs as well, we saw that. The two semifinal games were horrendous. Yeah. And then Alabama-Clemson provided us a show. What is it about that championship game that just brings out the best in players? Well, just mathematically, uh, there's the fact that you have two teams that were dominant in their semifinal games advancing to play one another. So, I mean, yeah, just by the way you match it up, sometimes when you have those semifinal blowouts, you're like, this could get pretty interesting and obviously the nfl maybe the uh league with the most parity i would think out of all the professional leagues out there certainly the most turnover from top teams and bottom teams year over year so um you know it's just but at the same time it's uh, there's not that many good super bowls looking back i think this is easily the best but even going back to good one i mean we we just looked a long time like two years ago i mean we had we had the patriots and seahawks and of course that game like came down to the wire of course the uh the patriots getting the interception at the end of the game Mm When, of course, Seattle should have just run the ball with yep. Marshawn Lynch. But I don't know. I, I, I like the fact that, you know, we have these great championship games. It's what keeps you in tuned as a fan. I was going to say, I mean, you know, thinking about the momentum and kind of how great this was in terms of a game. Do you think that the OT rules, people are making comments about that, about how the overtime rules in the NFL are kind of uh, out of step with what most people would want to see. Everyone likes the college rule, penalty right? kicks. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes the college rule. Like where it's all right. Well, you get <laughs> you get an answer and you get an answer. Um, the entire time when I was thinking overtime, just mentally in my mind, I was thinking college football overtime because college football is a game that I enjoy way more than the NFL. 
I'll be the first one to admit that. Uh, I, I know I think that you're bragging about it, actually. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know that one of our uh, correspondents, Hunter Atkins for the Houston Chronicle, was actually at the game tonight covering. And you can check his workout at Hunter Atkins 35 on Twitter. Jake Kaplan, who will yeah, be joining Jake, us in a moment. Yeah, Jake M. Kaplan, you can check him out on Twitter. They both have fashion. blue checks, which is something that none of us have. But hey, Cypher Sports, I applied for. It's a cross fingers. <laughs> that should have a yeah. blue check pretty soon. So when you look at the game, um, I don't even know where I was going with this train of thought. <laughs> that's the problem when you podcast at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, that's not the you, only you, problem. You don't know where this is going. But I, I, I think that it's like somewhat satisfying to see these like uh, championship games come to time rules. NFL overtime rules. I don't like it. I want both teams to get the ball. Here, here's that's what, what I like. That's what I like about college is that they both get the ball on the 25 yard line and they have a chance to score. In the NFL, obviously, it's different. But I would have loved to have seen the ball in Matt Ryan's hands. What you got to do is you got to take the ball and you got to put it 25 yards away from each team's most uh, adept physical skill player and have them race towards the ball. And the first one to the ball, you get possession first in overtime. I think that'd be a great alternative take is, on the is, rules. Is that like an XFL style rule? Oh, it's weird. Now that you mention it, yeah, it does seem a little bit like the way they start the XFL games. Now that you point that out. That wasn't what I was thinking, but that would be a great way to do the Super Bowl. Adopt um, some XFL rules. Absolutely fair point. Okay. Uh, yeah, as mentioned at the top of the show, uh, of course, the Patriots uh, winning their fifth Super Bowl title uh, second in the last three years. Uh, but uh, Kevin and I actually sit down with Jake Kaplan, who was the uh, beat reporter for the Houston Chronicle covering the Houston Astros. And, of and course, a very good looking man. Okay, you can say whatever you want. But uh, the Astros actually report to uh, uh, Florida this next week uh, for spring training. And uh, as a baseball guy, it is a very exciting time. Uh, so we are going to uh, get to that here shortly. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, we are going to do a brief pause before what we do is, uh, I guess, our normal outro. So if you are uh, listening on the podcast, we want to make sure that you follow us on our social media channel. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We post some content there each week. We have a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now in The Weekly Brew Studios uh, is a guy that we've had on the show twice before, and he's actually sitting in front of Kevin and I right now. So uh, Jake Kaplan from the Houston Chronicle is the Astros beat reporter, and uh, spring training is coming up in just a week, and you actually decided to stop by the studio today. So first off, thanks for joining us in the studio. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a blast to uh, have you here. But kind of the you are better looking than I anticipated. Honestly, I was I was kind of what do you anticipate? Twitter profile doesn't <laughs> do you justice. Your little headshot on the Chronicle website or whatever. So, but uh, you know, I'm pleased. Uh, I have to say, I appreciate it. All right, so kind of kind of switching gears here for a second. <laughs> uh, the big news to uh, you know kind of come through Major League Baseball this past week was the Chris Correa, I guess, punishment that was finally handed down by Rob Manfred uh, and. It, I'm kind of curious from your take. Uh, the Cardinals have to give up two draft picks, right. which is odd because in other sports, when you give up a draft pick, it doesn't go to the other team. Uh, but there's also a, a hefty fine as well. Was this the right move by the commissioner to dole out that punishment? You know, it's a good debate. I, I'm not sure. It's, you know, I've kind of gone, been on the fence since the punishment come down. Is it too harsh? Is it too weak? You know, I think if anything, it's, it's maybe a little light. But what else could, it be, could he have done is another question when you say it's too light so you know obviously the first round pick wasn't on the table with with the Fowler signing uh they didn't have a, a first round pick so uh, there had to be some aspect of the Astros getting something for it um I was a little surprised they got the draft picks um not surprised about the money aspect of it but uh yeah I mean it's it's interesting I mean I think if anything it was a little light but 
again, it's it's also hard to know. You know, we we only know so many of the facts. You know, it's there's there's always going to be parts that we don't know about this. Yeah, and one of the things that I found interesting is, I guess Correa, not to be confused with Carlos Correa, but uh, from his no relation, yeah, yeah, <laughs> from his jail cell, I believe he sent out like a tweet or a statement. Uh, How did he get the phone? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's probably. Yeah. I've seen Shawshank Redemption. I know how this works. <laughs> but he, he, I guess he wrote that. I guess he suggested that the Astros also hacked the Cardinals. Is there is there any truth in that, or is that? I don't know if we'll ever know the the full story. I mean, he's he's kind of said that the whole that's has been his story the whole along all along is that he was looking to see what they had taken from him. So, um, you know, it's always interesting when a front office, you know, when there's turnover in a front office, and and it happens every year when teams uh, executives leave a team to go to another team and, and run things. Like, obviously, you're going to you know use the things that you're familiar with in terms of. Uh, systems that worked for you, um, but it's an it's an interesting line of how much you can implement of from what you were doing at your at your previous employer versus you know start from scratch. What's your gut say though? As you, as you follow the story pretty closely, reported on it and so forth, what just kind of listening to what Correa is saying and, and using that journalistic instinct I know you have there. What do you believe him that it was retaliatory, that it was uh, retributive, that he was kind of acting in response to something that was done to him, or does it seem like complete nonsense? You know, I think the, the I don't I think it's somewhere in the middle probably, but I mean the fact that he says he was looking f- to see what the Astros had taken, but then using the Astros medical reports and, and scouting reports of guys were in the draft that year it doesn't really line mm-hmm. up you know he he had basically had access to two scouting departments uh you know which is invaluable when you're going through the draft and you're deciding whether marco gonzalez for instance is the guy you want to take with the 19th overall pick oh well let's see what the astros think of him let's see what their medicals show of, of what they what they've been able to gather about him so uh yeah i mean that that aspect of it doesn't really line up is you know the things he was looking at the trade discussions and, and all of that so it's you know, obviously he committed a, a crime and, <laughs> and he's serving for it. Um, but, you know, it, there's there's so many things that, that we'll probably never know on both sides. So um. so one of my questions for you is it seems like in baseball there's so much more proprietary information when it comes to ad, ad, sabermetrics, uh, advanced scouting. And, and for me, I think back a few years ago to the Brady-Aiken situation when, you know, the Astros, uh, you know, obviously saw something wrong in his left elbow. And no other Major League Baseball team seemed to have that issue because obviously Brady-Aiken's agents, or Brady Aiken's agents and families were saying, well, this didn't show up on anyone else's test. And obviously a year later, he you know, has his Tommy John right. surgery. How important is it to protect that information, obviously, and not sharing? Because I feel like, I don't know, it feels like each scouting department has their own system, I guess, if you will. Sure, yeah. No, I mean, that's... It's crucial. I mean, they they don't want to share their information with us in the, in answers <laughs> to our questions in the media. So they definitely don't want to just out there on Deadspin for everyone to see. Um, that was a fascinating read when Deadspin did um, release the, uh, yeah, the ground control. I went back and read it the other day. It's even more interesting to read now. Just you know, knowing how some of those players have turned out or, or not turned out. Um, yeah, no. I mean, that all these front offices are looking for a competitive edge in terms of you know how they do things, how they. How they what stats they value, what players they value, and and you know they don't you know a lot of the stats that we see on baseball prospectus and Fangraphs, I feel like we're like five years behind the teams right. at least. So they've been doing a lot of the research behind the scenes that they don't share with us, and so yeah, it's it, if you were able to hack into one of these databases, uh, you could learn a lot of stuff <laughs> for sure. Now, why is it that you know we see? To me, I think this is probably the biggest 
scandal, if you will, from team on team crime. I mean, most of the time we see it in the NFL, you know, with uh, the spy gate, for example, with the Patriots or pumping in crowd noise for the Falcons, both <laughs> two teams that are playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, but we haven't seen anything to this magnitude in a while. Why is it that, you know, for the Spygate and, and, and breaking, uh, you know, some NFL rules, that those are punished more within the league, but this was actually taken to federal court? And, and do you think that punishment is too harsh on Correa? I don't, I don't think the, you know, videotaping a practice was an illegal, like right. it was illegal by NFL rules, I guess, but not, you know, a felony. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, Tom Brady, there was some court aspects of the uh, deflate gate wasn't there in terms of yeah, i almost took it to the supreme court right which is ridiculous <laughs> right <laughs> so i don't know i mean I, I don't it's you know i think the general consensus when the sentencing came down in july was 46 months is a long time to put a guy in jail for this but then we learned more of the details and, and how the extent of of how long he was in the system and had access to the emails it made a little more sense I just I, here's the thing that I'm, I find myself questioning. Obviously, there had to be some sort of punishment. It was doled out, but but really, I think who loses here would be the rest of the AL West, right? Because it does give the Astros sure. a competitive advantage here. That um, there's not necessarily any reason I would see that they should have suffered for what the Cardinals did to the Astros. I don't know what, what have you heard in terms of other fans' reactions, other front office reactions to this move from the commissioner. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, every, not many people are offering their uh, on the record reactions to this because you know it's kind of frowned upon to comment on sure. other teams, especially for a sensitive situation like this. But fans feel that way for sure. I mean, the Astros got. I mean, the money is you know every team has a lot of money, right. so it's <laughs> kind of whatever. But, um, but those are two draft picks that are very very high. I mean, that gives the Astros five what, in five the first ninety one. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and the and the signing bonus money that comes with it, mm-hmm. which is almost two million. So. That definitely gives them an advantage. Um, you know, it's. I think it would probably be more of an outcry if it was a first-round pick. I mean, you, you look at the players that have come from those two slots, and there's some notable names, but um, it's not. You're not getting probably not going to get a, an all-star there. You know, but uh, no, it it gives you especially the the 75th pick. You can trade that. It gives you an extra trade trade ship. Um, you know, it gives you the extra bonus pool money to be more creative in, in the other rounds uh, with, the, with your 15th overall pick, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's a fair argument. Uh, but at the same time, the Astros were, they determined, you know, negatively affected by this guy being in, sure. their, in their system. So there had to be some kind of component going back to the Astros. And that's an interesting question when you think about the damage that was done. So obviously there was some damage done. There's some recompense here. In your mind, if you're just thinking from the Astros' perspective, does one outweigh the other? Did they end up making out like bandits here? Did they just barely get what was needed to kind of make up that ground? What's the, what's the net gain or loss, do you think? I think only Chris Correa knows. Yeah. I mean, we don't. The Astros probably don't even know everything he saw. You know, we know what he clicked on and what <laughs> what uh, sites he accessed and or what parts of their system he has mm-hmm. accessed. But you know, how much he they weighed that information that went into their decisions. You know, we don't know. Only I'd say only Correa knows. Um, so who knows? I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made. Maybe they made out better by being hacked, but. I don't, I don't know. I would probably err on the side of I'd rather not be hacked right. in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Democratic uh, the Democratic Party in the United States probably agrees with you as well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're actually heading out to Florida uh, in the next week mm-hmm. to cover spring training. And there are a lot of new faces on the Astros this year, especially on the offensive side. I mean, we've got Josh Reddick, we've got Carlos Beltran, uh, Brian McCann, Nori Aoki. But it looks like the Astros didn't necessarily make the moves that a lot of fans 
anticipated when it comes to th- when it came to the pitching staff going into the 2017 season looks like the offense is going to be probably one of the best that I can remember here in Houston but the pitching staff leaves a lot to be desired you know with Keiko having the injury last year McCullers having injury issues can this team make a deep run in the postseason with without like a solid third guy um I I would be highly question question that I mean the thing the thing we have to think about is they could you know, make a move over the summer to right. get that guy. Um, yeah, it was an interesting offseason. They obviously were really busy early and, and added a lot of guys. Like you said, their lineups, I mean, they might have the best lineup in, in baseball or, or in the American League, um, at least. Um, but the pitching staff is pretty similar, pretty much the same. And, you know, that's going to be the big storyline all all spring and until we really have a decent sample size into the season. Um yeah, I mean, I think the big question is, are these guys good enough to get them to July? Uh, and I think maybe, but maybe not. I mean, a lot of it depends on the health of, of Morton, McCullers, Keuchel. And for Keuchel, it's not just health. I mean, he has to be good. Like, he right. wasn't... He was missing his spots last year. He was not good last year when he was when he was on the mound. So, um, you know, and, and then you know, kind of know what you're going to get from McHugh, Fires, Musgrove, whoever, you know, which of those last two are, are in the rotation. Um but yeah, there's there's a lot of question marks there. I think in the bullpen there's question marks. I mean, they're going in with Tony Sip as their top lefty, and you know that's frightening. To he me. could bounce back, but he might not. I mean, he had an awful year last year, the worst of his career, and I think, uh, in my opinion, it's it was a mistake to not. And they still could acquire someone, but to not you know sign Jerry Blevins or Boone Logan or one of these lefties just to kind of protect yourself a little bit. So why was it that the Astros weren't able to? secure extra pitching whether it was you know chris sale uh, archer down in tampa was it was it because of the asking price was too high like giving up prospects like bregman or potentially springer yeah i think i think it boiled down to the asking price for sure i mean they obviously want another pitcher uh, another frontline guy but they 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 feel like they've worked hard to establish this strong farm system in addition to the strong major league roster and i they don't want to more from what i understand and and obviously what what they haven't by their actions, they don't want to mortgage the future, especially with a guy like Bregman who, who, or Musgrove or these guys who are going to contribute this year. Um, so, yeah, because the free agent market for starting pitching was so poor, they, you know, the, the prices on the trade market were, were really high, and we saw that with the Chris Sale deal, and they weren't willing to meet that. And it looks like a lot of other teams in the AL kind of made moves to get better as well, and I think the AL West this year is going to be uh, just as competitive. Going into the season... Who is the favorite in the league, or at least in the division? The division, I, you know, it's, I think the Astros have the best roster on paper, but I think it's tough to call them the favorite until they show they can beat the Rangers. Um, when a team dominates you that bad, you know, every, the last two years, um, you know, I think they have to show that they can beat them head-to-head before you consider them the favorite. Is that just, I mean, we, we hear that Yogi Berra quote all the time, that baseball is 90% mental, the other half physical. I mean, with the Rangers, it seems like it is 100% mental. It's, it seems that way, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Rangers are a really good team, too. But, yeah, it, it does seem that way. And, you know, even, like, their bottom of the rotation guys seem to fare well against against the Astros last year. Like the it, Col- makes me, it makes Lewis me sick. Dominated it makes them. me sick. Uh, <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> And uh, I mean, the Rangers had an interesting offseason. They have a lot of questions in, in their rotation too. With the you know Tyson Ross, what is he going to be? Is he going to be healthy? And Kashner, and um, you know they lost lost some guys. They lost Beltron. Um, but 
and what is Carlos Gomez going to be for them too? Um, that was another frustrating thing for me as well. The guy <laughs> hits like below the Mendoza line here in Houston, and then goes to Texas and Arlington and just tears it up the yeah. last half of the season. Yeah, I, I don't. I think it'll probably be somewhere in between there this year, but we'll see. I mean, they obviously unlocked something in him. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Seattle's going to be good. I like I like what they did this off season. Um, I think the Angels will be better. I mean, their rotation can't have more injuries. So it's only going to be better. And uh, they made some nice moves on the margins, you know, upgrading with Valbuena and, and Cameron Mabin and Espinosa, you know, uh, that will help them here and there. And they still have the best player in baseball. So yeah, absolutely. I think the A's are the only non-threat, but I think it's, it's going to be an interesting division for sure. Yeah, definitely looking forward to the start of the baseball season. But one of the, the interesting, one of the interesting things about this I guess spring training is you have the World Baseball Classic thrown in there. Right. And there are a lot of members of the Astros that are going to be representing, whether it's, uh, you know, Carlos Correa playing for Puerto Rico, Jose Altuve playing, uh, Bregman's actually on the roster, and then uh, Gregerson as well. I think there's, what, six, seven? Six, guys? At least six. <laughs> um, right now it's Aoki, Bregman, Gregerson, Beltran, Altuve, Correa, and then maybe Marwin Gonzalez. I'm not sh- 100% sure on that one yet. I think the rosters have to be finalized. Uh, Here in the next this few days. week, yeah. yeah. So we'll find out shortly. But that's a, that's a lot of guys in itself, and that's like half more than that's what three quarters of their infield. Yeah. D- does that <laughs> does that hinder the Astros' development during spring training, or you know, since they're not necessarily pitchers, is right? I think it it might hinder like a little bit chemistry wise in terms of they have all these new guys getting you know getting everyone to to spend that time together, uh, but. Spring training so long, I think they'll still have plenty of time together. Um, in terms of like playing wise and getting ready to play, I mean, I think the only thing you have to be worried about is the injury aspect. I mean, I think they're playing games, so I mean, if, if anything, they have to get ready earlier. Um, they definitely have to get ready earlier to play, and so I, in terms of reps, I, I mean, I think it's fine. I think, I mean, unless Bregman just sits on the bench for Team USA, it, would, it might be an issue. But I don't. I think they spread the playing time out f- to on all these teams because of they know these guys have to get ready for a season. Yeah, and, and Bregman, to me, I think is a very interesting uh, prospect. I mean, obviously, last year when he came up, he was phenomenal uh, at third base his first few games, but he struggled at the plate before absolutely picking it up, you know, probably after two or three weeks. Where does he project, not only in the lineup this year, but also in the infield? So he's going to, I mean, he's going to play third base, and, and I think he'll probably bat in the two-hole uh, at least some of the time, I, I think they're going to have a lot of different lineups uh, based on matchups, based on righty lefty, based on who's hot at the time. Uh, I could see Bregman hitting second against lefties and Josh Reddick hitting second against righties. Um, you know, but I, he's 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 going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, now that he has that half season in the major leagues under his belt, um, you know, he was he was really impressive. Uh, after, like you said, after that whatever it was, one for 36 or over. Uh, Those are numbers that I would put up. Like, <laughs> I, actually, I'd probably go for like over 36. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we, any of us would be getting hits off, <laughs> off even the worst major league pitcher. We've had this discussion before. We have. Actually, we have. actually Kevin suggested he could hit a 90 mile per hour fastball. I yeah. it just seems I've never so seen you swing a bat. Yeah. But I, I never have, but it can't be that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I mean, when I look at back at Bregman, you know, that 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 terrible start he was still putting the ball in play it's not like he was you know looking bad at the plate it, it, they weren't terrible at bats i mean he was hitting like line drive outs and i don't yeah. know is it just luck of the draw sometimes yeah sometimes um he he talked about some adjustments he made with his hand placement and and swing 
uh, he said even before he got called up, he was he was in a little bit of a rut in that respect. Um, it was a weird timing wise. Like they waited. He was super hot in AAA, and then they waited till he cooled down and got into like a mini slump before they called him up. So that was interesting. But um, yeah, no, he's he's going to be a really big part of their team this year and the next, you know, at least the next five years. Uh, he's under control or five or six years. I, I forget exactly. But um, yeah, it'll, I'm excited to see how he progresses uh, and just see what he looks like after, you know, with a full season. And I think that's part, you know, their, their offense was going to be better regardless because of a full season of him and Gurriel. Um, but now they added the other guys. It's They're going to score a lot of runs. Yeah, that's, that's so exciting uh, just from a, you know, fan perspective. I mean, one of the things that I love about college football is all the points, all the offense. And you, we definitely get to see that here in Houston with the offense. But uh, Last year, we saw a lot of key prospects kind of make that jump. I mean, we saw, you know, Tyler White coming up uh, at the beginning of the season, obviously Bregman, who are guys in the system right now that we can expect to see, you know, whether it's May, June, July, helping that playoff push. So I don't know if there's too many this year. It's funny to me that that's a that's a, a continually a question from Astros fans because they're so trained to think look about at, the farm yeah, system the farm, after yeah. so many years of, of awful baseball. Um <laughs> I think the only guys who are really down there who might help this year, I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys who, with major league experience who are in AAA. Um, AJ Reed, Colin Moran, uh, Tony Kemp, Preston Tucker, maybe. So there's a lot of their AAA team is going to be, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, all, all those guys. So you're saying the AAA team right now could be the Astros of 2011? Well, no, it could be the Astros of September 2016. Uh, Fair. Um, <laughs> or, or August, even. Uh, they had 13 rookies at one point. Um, you know, but I think the guy the guy to watch is Francis Martez, their top pitching prospect, arguably their top prospect at any position. And, and you know, I don't think he'll be up till May, June, maybe July. It depends on how he pitches in AAA. But he's a guy who could be a difference maker, you know, in, in games down the stretch, uh, depending on, on how he looks and whether – I don't know if that's in starter, as a starter or relief. Uh, probably as a starter if he's up. That means there's issues with the rotation. So, um you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see, but I think, you know, it's funny. It is funny to me how much Astros fans ask about the prospects because your major league team is pretty good right now. So, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's, I don't. It's I don't still know. ours is still our major league team. That's the way you refer to it. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't know. You haven't adopted it as your own yet. No, no. It's no he's got to be not my team. Yeah, <laughs> he works for the Chronicle. I, I don't, he's got to be neutral. I don't care if they win or lose, but. Uh, you know, I just I just hope for good stories. Uh, so if they win, you might get more good stories and more readership, right? Yeah, I always say like the worst thing is like a mediocre team to cover. Mm-hmm. Like you either as a writer, the best you either want them to be like awful, like god awful, like a hundred losses, or you want them to be really good. And then do you, you want know, to go to the ballpark when it's a hundred losses? Yeah, I, I'm I'm paid to watch baseball every day. I'm always game to go to the ballpark. <laughs> that, that's a fair point. <laughs> Kevin, you've been kind of uh, quiet. I know baseball's not your strong not suit. Not my but. strong suit, yeah. And, and I'm just I'm just enthralled. I mean, so much good information here uh, from, from Jake. But no, I don't have much to contribute. I prepared, what, four questions? I think we heard them all already. And I've just been kind of <laughs> learning more about baseball for the rest of the interview here. But it sounds, seems like you had it handled, honestly. So... 2017, uh, you know, spring training starts here in just about a week. Pitchers and catchers report. What can we expect from the Astros this season? What are things that fans should be looking for? So I think, like, in terms of, like, storylines, the biggest to me is, is going to be the rotation uh, all spring and all summer, really. I mean, the trade deadline speculation is constant until the trade deadline happens. So that'll be, you know, 
those those big name pitchers are still going to be out there, and then that's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of r- a lot written about that. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of you know different per individual storylines. Can Jose Altuve repeat what he did last year? Can Correa kind of take that next step uh, and have the year? I think we a lot of people thought he would have last year. Um, what is Dallas Keuchel? Uh, Mc, can McCullers stay on the mound? Um, you know, there's a lot of different aspects. Um, you know, the new guys. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how how it progresses. I mean, it's always you know everyone makes their grand predictions this time of year for the season that it never goes. <laughs> you know, unless it's maybe in the, with the exception of the Cubs winning the World Series last year, mm-hmm. it rarely goes to to what we think is going to happen. So. Um, they're going to be a good team. Uh, whether they're good enough, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the, again, the, the pitching is, is the big question mark, and we'll, we'll see how they look. Well, Sports Illustrated had a, uh, a cover a few years ago that said the Astros were 2017 World Series champions. What do you say? I think they're, I don't, on paper right now, they're not better than the Red Sox or the Indians. I think the Indians are the team to beat, and I think the Red Sox, with that three headed monster in the rotation. That's just insane. And then the offense that they had last year as well. Yeah. Does losing. David Ortiz kind of bring that offense down to earth a little bit more. Sure, but they still have a Mookie Betts and <laughs> and all these other guys, uh, and they they, you know, it, they're still going to be one of the better lineups in baseball. Um, you know, even without Ortiz, but that is a big hole for sure. I mean, not no no pitcher wants to face that guy. Are the Cubs still a favorite this year? Yes, yes. I mean, think I think you know they. They didn't really lose anyone, right? I mean, they lost Dexter Fowler, but that you know they gained Kyle Schwarber back right. for a full season. And, uh, and how about him in the postseason, just coming back after you know missing the entire incredible. season? That was that was phenomenal. To yeah, watch. I think. I mean, there's going to be the the bullpen questions. Like Wade Davis was hurt most of last year, and so now he's their closer. Um, Does losing Chapman hurt them? It depends how Davis pitches. I, I think. I think Davis, good Wade Davis, like we saw, like had one of the best couple season runs of any closer ever i don't think they miss chapman but we'll see how he how he looks and if he stays healthy and then you know they could probably use um maybe some you know their bullpen was chapman and no one else it seemed like toward the end of the world series so they maybe they see how the wrestler bullpen shakes out but they're gonna be really really good again um you know um the nationals should be good i think they have major bullpen questions but um yeah, no, it's the Dodgers are gonna be really good. I think I really like what they did and bringing back all the guys they did and, and getting Logan Force, Forsythe to play second base. So uh, it's gonna be a fun season. This time of year is always always fun. Uh, well, every team has a shot. Every team has a shot, except for maybe. No, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. there are. There, I mean, there's the clear rebuilding teams, right? Uh, even still, but um, I feel like there's less this year than there were last. Last year, there was like ten teams going into the season where it was like. Why are we even going to watch these games? But I think you know, the, a lot of those teams, like the Braves, are yeah, making the Braves strides. are definitely a, a young team. The Braves kind of remind me of the Astros, like three or four years ago, almost, yeah. where they have a lot of young talent, and it's just whether or not they can gel together and and, and develop quick enough right. to be able to contend in the East. Yeah, they have. A, they they seem like they've gone more pitching heavy than the Astros, who went more position player heavy. But um, yeah, they're going to be interesting, and, and they come here for a couple games this year, so it'll be, it'll be good to see the Dansby Swanson versus Alex Bregman uh, yeah, matchup. Yeah, one and two. It's an easy storyline for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you had mentioned the Nationals, and I, I, I know you don't cover the team, but one of the big storylines this offseason has been Bryce Harper, and when he becomes a free agent, 
the asking price for him seems absurd. And there was a lot of speculation. The Nationals already had said, we're not going to pay that. Is he a guy that you can see potentially being a trade piece for the Nationals in, in like, you know, June or July? Or is he just too valuable for the team, even if they know they're going to lose him due to free agency, that they still have to keep him for the postseason run? Well, they have two more years of him. Um, and they are a win-now team for sure. I mean, their their window is his contract so they're i don't see a, a scenario in which they're not contending so i don't see a scenario in which they would consider trading him i mean he's their best chance to win is, is with him and and all these other guys whose contract expire in the next couple of years so um you know they're they're definitely in, in win now mode and and you know a big part of whether they win or not is, is going to be what he does um you know they're gonna they're gonna be interesting to watch i mean they have a lot of good position players. Uh, their rotation is really good. Um, you know, they, they have the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the National League. So, um, you know, I think they obviously wanted Chris Sale and to add to that, but um, that just to me would have been unfair. Like that pitching staff was Sale. Yeah, like, it would have been. Uh, although you could argue the Red Sox right. staff <laughs> is kind of unfair right now. Um, so no, it's it's going to be interesting. I think the Mets will be good too. So that the East will be kind of a two man race. Probably I think the the Braves and Phillies are still a little bit away, and the Marlins are always seemingly in the, the middle there. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the Nationals, the, the Bryce Harper, I mean, I think it's kind of been like the foregone conclusion that they won't be able to keep him, like, for a while. Like, he's going to be so expensive. but Probably heading to New York. Probably. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, that's always the speculation. Um, but that class is loaded. I mean, that free agent class is, uh, you know, Machado, Harvey, um, Kershaw can opt out, I think. Like, there's a million guys in that class, and the winter meetings that year are, are in Vegas. So, and Bryce Harper's from Vegas, so it's going to be, you know, a zoo in that year's winter meetings. It's going to be the, the the winter of Bryce for sure. Yeah, and this is non current baseball related, but you had just mentioned Las Vegas, and that made me think. You know, we've got an NHL team going there. We've got an NFL team that you know the Oakland Raiders potentially heading there. We'll find out in March. Is there room for baseball there? I mean, I know we have what the, what is it the Vegas they have area the, the Mets AAA team there. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I don't think there's any talk of that. I haven't heard anything like that. Um, no, I'm, nothing that I've heard. I, I don't. I, I don't. Is anyone looking to move right now? I don't think so. Um, is is Tampa happy? I'm just curious. Did they did they have a new stadium deal coming? Uh, I think that's a constant story with constant them. battle. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. piss off all our Tampa fans. We have probably like five listeners in Tampa. Right? Yeah, I can't. I can't claim to have expertise. <laughs> Way on, more than uh, I would have thought on uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays right now in terms of off the field stuff or or uh, anything like that. But um, I, I, they could use a new stadium for sure. I mean, having having been to that one, yeah, absolutely fair. But uh, again, you're heading down to uh, Florida here in just a few days. Uh, what are you working on for the Chronicle right now as kind of the build-up to spring training? And what can we expect from your coverage during and throughout spring training? Yeah, just kind of gearing up for, for pitchers and catchers. And, um, you know, during it's 45, 48 days, so you kind of write a f- features about every single player down there. So this time of year is just kind of preparing yourself for different angles you're going to pursue and, and who, who you're going to talk to about what. Um, right now, I mean, this week we'll have some spring training preview stuff. Um, you know, obviously, a, a story examining their offseason, whether it was good enough, uh, which we kind of just touched on here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll mostly be more of that. And then once we get down there, the, the real stuff starts. So looking forward to it. It'll be my first spring covering this team. Um, 
so looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing what the new complex looks like. It, it you know, yeah, sharing it with the Nationals, correct? They are, but from what I hear and what I've been told, like it's a shared complex, but like it's kind of every both team has their own side, and and it's not we're not going to see much of them except for in the stadium when they're playing against them. So, um, yeah, it sounds like they're still working on it, and it's going to be right up to the the last minute they, they're working on it, and even even when the players are there, still tweaking stuff. So. But it, it should be nice. I, I didn't spend much time in Kissimmee, but I know this will be an upgrade. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, now that we finally have a new Super Bowl champion, uh, football season is behind us in the books. I can't wait for baseball season to start. I'm looking forward to spring training and, you know, all the coverage that you're going to provide. And for our listeners that might not already follow you on social media, and they should already follow you because we've had you on three times now, what is the best way for them to connect with you? So my Twitter is at Jake M. Kaplan, and now I'm worried about my profile picture from, <laughs> from Kevin's comment earlier. It just doesn't do you justice. It's not bad. <laughs> so look for a new one soon, uh, <laughs> potentially. Uh, yeah, Jake M. Kaplan on Twitter. Obviously, read the Chronicle. Um, uh, pick up a newspaper. Support your your newspaper, your hometown newspaper. And uh, buy three or four, frame some of them, you know. Just also subscribe subscribe to HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, it's only, what, like 10 bucks a month? Yeah, yeah and I pay every dime of it, it, even as an employee. So, I mean, it's certainly fair that everybody reading should have to as yeah. well. And just a reminder, this is not a paid endorsement by the Chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't support us officially for nothing. <laughs> but we do, we do recommend, you know, subscribing and definitely checking out your work. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, and anytime you guys want to have me on, I'd uh, love to do it. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's start a segment, Kaplan's Corner. Kaplan's Corner? <laughs> I think we can do better than Kaplan's Corner. <laughs> okay. I a little so cliche. Too. We'll split <laughs> cliche. We'll, we'll ponder on it. But uh, Jake, it's been great having you in studio and uh, enjoy your trip down to Florida. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Closing time. Again, this is episode 80 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, we just had a great, I guess, recap of Super Bowl 51 here in Houston. Also, we were lucky enough to have uh, Jake Kaplan from the Houston Chronicle join us here in studio. And uh, if you're watching at home right now, you probably cannot, uh, you didn't hear the interview, but if you listen on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud or any other podcast subscription service that you provide, or I, I guess that you subscribe to, you'll hear the uh, the interview. But uh, Kevin, we spoke with Jake for about 30 minutes. He actually came here in the studio, and I couldn't be more excited about Astros baseball. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely did impact my excitement to the extent that you can. I'm not a huge baseball guy, I think is what you call it. But um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it is uh, an interesting set of circumstances there legally with all that transpired. Yeah, but with, with Korea. Yeah. Yeah. And then the picks we get and the, and the positioning that does for us. I mean, you know, he kind of made the point that maybe uh, we might have made out better in the long run than if it hadn't happened at all. We don't know that for certain, but that's an interesting scenario to me. So, yeah, I'm more interested uh, than I have been in any baseball offseason probably ever. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And of course, uh, the Astros pitches to catchers report within the next week. And if you can, if, if you want to, you can follow Jake Kaplan on social media. Of course, he'll be in uh, West Palm Beach covering the Astros throughout the spring training process. And uh, Jeremy, just kind of finally recapping the Super Bowl week. The city of Houston put on an amazing show. I mean, I was able to go to a few events. I went uh, to the EA Sports uh, party at Club Nomadic and also got to meet Charles Woodson on Friday night. That maybe like might be a humble brag. I'm not sure. But uh, you also went to Super Bowl Live uh, here in Discovery Green on Saturday. What was that experience like and what was that excitement like 
going into downtown Houston. Oh my gosh, it was uh, it was a complete shit show. Uh, and no shit show in Houston is complete without an anti-Trump protest, which was right across the street. A lot of fun, but no, it was that uh, seems well, to be a standard now. I know, right? <laughs> it was uh, a lot of people. It was packed. If you, if you love crowds and you like a lot of noise, it was great, right up your alley. Um, but I could not be more proud of the way that Houston handled uh, the whole thing. I thought that, that downtown looked really nice. I thought that all of the new nightlife and all the new stuff that Houston's got going on was able to be showed off and. Um, no, I, I was I'm, I'm to- was totally pumped for how the how the city handled it, and I, I think that we looked really good. And what a fitting way for the Super Bowl to to end there in the city. I just thought it's amazing. Yeah, it was very it was, I- it was very iconic, and of course, I think the uh, the city of Houston proved they can host big events. And I think the weather this week played a large part of that. But you look at it, the, the Final Four this past year, huge event, Super Bowl, huge event. Hopefully, we have a World Series next year as well. But uh, there were also so many great bands and musicians that performed here in Houston this week, and actually two that we've had on the podcast cast in the past we've had second lovers on i believe three times kevin is that is that is that probably accurate that sounds about right. they actually performed in discovery green at super bowl live also buxton who's a band we had on uh, several months ago they performed here at super bowl live but uh, so many great things happened uh, for super bowl 51 and of course it's going to be a game that went down in history and of course thanks to uh, jake kaplan from the houston chronicle joining us on the podcast but uh, kevin last week on the podcast we had mentioned that our listeners uh, should go on to our Twitter page and look at, uh, I guess, this thing called Curious Cat. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what it is? What is that? And do we actually have any feedback? Yeah, yeah, we got some questions. Um, I think I should answer them on Twitter and tweet them out, and then it'll tweet it to them. But I can answer them here on the show, or we yeah, can well, as well. Let's do it. Did we stop having bands on the show for any particular reason? I will say that from my standpoint, um, yeah, uh, yeah, th- there are other podcasts in Houston that do that sort of thing. Yeah, um, Dead Dialect Podcast does it really, really well. I mean, they're deep in the scene and they do a lot of research and a lot of talking, and that's sort of their shtick. And uh, so I started listening to them, and it seemed uh, what we were doing was either derivative, unintentionally so, or just wasn't as good or as interesting as what they were doing. So I kind of left it to them, and I've been. Uh, learning about Houston music and art doing that. I would like to have some bands on in the future. I mean, I, we're getting to that point right now. We're kind of in the, uh, the low of the sports world. We don't, we don't have, like, NBA doesn't get exciting until April, until the playoffs, right? I'm excited about the NBA all the time. But, okay, you know. fair point. But College basketball here and there, right? It gets a little yeah. bit exciting. But, like, once we're done with the NFL, I mean, maybe we should bring on Second Lovers again. Why not? They have a new album coming up, right? I, wait, for their new album, they're old friends of the show. We love those guys. I love going to see them as well. I would certainly be happy to have them back. I just think that as a matter of course, when we were trying to get started, uh, put together enough listenership to kind of justify spending all the time and money right. that we do, um, you know, we, we reached far and wide. We said, let's expose bands. Let's do. We didn't know what other people were doing. As I've gotten more into the scene, uh, quote unquote, I'm not, people don't know me or anything. <laughs> but, but you know, as I've, as I've done some research and stuff, there are people doing that kind of stuff out there, and I support them. I listen to them. I mentioned Dead Dialect Podcast, uh, Heaven, Hell, or Houston uh, Podcast. I think they're still making episodes. They were good while they were. Uh, and then The Stacks, another great Houston. But they're all kind of involved with like the Houston comedy scene, the Houston music scene, things that we're uh, not as into. We're more into sports. I work in sports. You did. So that's, that's right. the reason for not having bands on the show. Um, it's not necessarily a particular reason. It's just, hey, there are other people in the city doing the exact same thing, and they do it really well. So, uh, the other question we got is who has been the coolest guest that you've had on the show? Ooh. I was once a guest, so I would say from my standpoint, I was at one point the coolest guest. Okay, so we've had some way more important guests. Yeah, I didn't say so important. I, I don't know that we have like enough room in the apartment, square footage wise, to <laughs> encompass your ego right now. I'm, hey, just say coolest, okay? Like the most important, just absolutely the, not. Okay, I'm okay, one of the least yeah. important, but 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 certainly. So outside coolest. of you, yeah, outside of me. If we're not saying me, who do I think is the coolest guest we've had? Um, I don't know. I, 
I don't know how cool they are. We've had nerdy people. We've had cool people, athletes, whatever. I think the, the most interesting experience I had interviewing anyone we've had on the show, and I can't remember what episode, Steve Allman, yeah. New York Times bestseller yeah. of the book Candy Freak. He also wrote a book called Against Football. But basically, his position was he watched football his whole life. He was as fanatical about it as most people growing up, and yet he's had a lot of these struggles people have had. Learning what we know about CTE, about not just concussions, but about subconcussive hits, just the lifestyle of football. And he sort of has written almost like a manifesto about why he feels like he can't watch football anymore. That was uh, 50 minutes, 55 minutes of talking to him about that book, and it was all fascinating. And he had stories that didn't make it into the text of the book either. So I would recommend going back listening to that. That's the coolest interview I think we've done yet on the show. Jeremy, what about you? I mean, you've been with the podcast since the start. Who, who has been the coolest guest that we've had? I think it's hard to say the coolest. I know the one I, I enjoyed the most was TCU coach Gary Patterson. Uh, having him on the show, talk TCU football, talk Big 12. <laughs> Uh, talk about the, of course, non-existent Big 12 expansion that was sort of, uh, you know, inevitably on the horizon for the conference. Um, and he I, was I, pro U of H. Oh, yeah. He, he absolutely was. Well, I think a lot of coaches were. But, it just, you know, what for whatever reason, the Big 12 just can't ever seem to get together when it comes to that stuff. No. But whatever. Um, by far my, my favorite as of now, though. Yeah, I, th- I think if I'm looking back on it, I would say that my favorite guest has probably been John McLean. Yep. I mean, he's been a guy that's been very nice in supporting us. Uh, he, we've had him on, what, six, seven times, something like that. But he's been a great guest. I would also say that uh, interviewing Justice Winslow was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was I, cool. I mean, the fact that he's like, a, you know, one of the best young players in the NBA. Granted, he's been kind of sidetracked due to injury this year. And also, uh, I think Brooke Evers was one of the most interesting guests that we've had on the show. And if you're not familiar with her, she's an Australian supermodel slash DJ. And I think it was just Zach Taylor's reaction for stuff that we're not going to discuss on this podcast. It made it so much better. Well, and let's talk about like the weird happenstance. Like I happen to see her like in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam? Yeah, just like of all places. Like that? walks right by our cafe, and I'm like, hey, I don't Brooke. know if I buy that it was that accidental, Jeremy. She's very traceable. I mean, on social the, media. The you fact know? that Jeremy and Brooke and Jeremy's girlfriend Kevin, or sorry, whoa, <laughs> Jeremy's whoa. girlfriend Kara, who's actually recording the Facebook Live right now that you're watching, and I see that we have a few people on right now <laughs> watching us still. Um, that was just a total coincidence, and I think that was that was kind of comical. Coincidence, yeah, coincidence. Whatever Quotation you want to call marks. It. But point is, we've if had. If I some, were her, I wouldn't treat it like one. <laughs> point is, we've had some great guests on the Weekly Brew podcast, and we we thank everyone that like submitted questions for Daryl Morey was a pretty recent one as well. Daryl Morey so, was a great guest, uh, and he's and he he is great. So it's hard to it's hard to rank, but just in terms of the most fascinating discussion, that'd be Allman. Yeah, me. and if you want to see all the you know the complete guest list that we've had on the Weekly Brew podcast, you can just search weeklybrewcast.com. We've got a little section on there where you can see all the guests that we've had. We also link to which episode they were actually included on so we uh highly encourage you to check that out but uh, kevin if anyone is interested in submitting questions on curious cat how can they do it you just go to uh, at weekly Bo- at <laughs> weekly brew cast i think is how we spell our twitter uh, it's so late now it's like 10 50 this is the latest that i think we've ever podcasted yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. by far <laughs> and it's we're not doing it again for sure but um yeah and it's there's a link in our bio at the bottom of the bio you can ask us a question we answered i'll go back on twitter here tomorrow and uh link you to the timestamp of when this occurred so that people can get those questions answered. yeah absolutely and if you want to follow us on social media of course search weekly brewcast on facebook twitter and instagram and of course we encourage you to always go to iTunes and uh, leave us a review. Give us five stars. Tell us what you like. Uh, give us interview ideas. Tell us show ideas. And uh, Kevin, as I understand, we actually had a few iTunes reviews this week. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it was two, right? What was the last one we did? Yeah, because we did Aaron Aaron last week. Uh, there's two new ones. <clears throat> the best podcast for Houston sports fans, five stars by Writer Chick uh, 1002. 
I am not even generally a sports fan, but these guys, Austin and Kevin, are on point, entertaining, informed, and actually make sports accessible to even casual fans. You've got to listen to this show if you like Houston, Texas, or any of its sports teams. Is there anything in that review that you disagree with or have an issue with? I thought it was on point. That's yeah, a perfect review. I, well, I, that, that's exactly what we want. Right? Absolutely. And then another one, great, with two exclamation marks from the D Bradley 20. That'd be Davion Bradley out in Cy Ridge. Is that uh, who it is? Yeah, that is absolutely who it is. He's okay. a very, very talented young man. He said, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Loved it. Great thing to listen to while sitting around. Uh, he didn't do a lot of sitting around. He's a very hard worker, but like most of the uh, Cy Ridge Rams. But we do appreciate the kind words and the review. Go leave us a review on iTunes. We'll give you a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and iTunes. Just search The Weekly Brew, or you can search uh, my name, Austin Staten, Kevin Cook, or Jeremy Paxson. You'll find us as well. And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter as well, you can search uh, K Michael Cook at uh, FiestaBear08 or at a Staten. But uh, we had a great show. Again, this has been episode 80 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. Thanks to Jake Kaplan for joining us in studio. And again, uh, congratulations to the uh, New England Patriots for uh, knocking off the Atlanta Falcons 34-28 here at Super Bowl 51 here in Houston, Texas. Yeah, it was a game for the ages and uh, something that we were all glad to uh, kind of watch and to be able to digest afterwards. Yeah. And uh, again, it's been a it's been a great time. And thank you to both Jeremy and Kevin for uh, joining me here in studios on a late Sunday night. And if you're watching on Facebook, thank you to everybody that watches live. And if not, uh, we hope that you're listening right now on iTunes or SoundCloud. But for my uh, podcast co-hosts this week, uh, Jeremy Pax and Kevin Cook, my name is Austin Staten, and we'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter where you go, who you are, or what you do, always, always brew responsible you've been listening to the weekly brew 